my name is Kendall Age. I serve as one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill, and it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, we're in a series in the book of Matthew, so open with me, if you would, to Matthew 22. So I've resurrected an, an old uh, uh, pastime that I used to do. I, I used to do this with my grandparents when I would go and visit them uh, down on the farm, as we called it. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do tech-wise down on the farm, you know, back in the day. You just, uh, they didn't have central air. It was, it was uh, just fun being together, right? But in the evenings, we would gather together, we would do puzzles. And somehow that's come back to me now, and I'm enjoying doing some, some puzzles at home. I've got a picture of the one that's uh, up in my place right now. It's a little strange because it's from the side. But there's the puzzle that I'm, I'm working on right now. I guess it looks just like you would expect, an, an unfinished puzzle to look. Now listen, I'm not trying to get you to like puzzles, okay? Like, some of you might hate puzzles. Like, that's relaxing? What are you doing? That looks terrible, okay? All I want to suggest about this puzzle that we can all agree on is that it's not put together. I've got all the pieces there. I better have all the pieces there. That is so annoying. I've got all the pieces there, and I've turned them all right side up because that's what Grandma said you had to do first. Got to turn them all right side up. Uh, but it's not put together. There's not a relationship yet between those pieces. You can't even tell if you didn't see the box. At least you can't even tell what in the world that group of pieces is trying to do. All right, you can you can take it down. Thanks. Jewish. Scholars estimate that there are 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible. And that seems to me like a lot. <laughs> 613 commands. That is a pile of puzzle pieces, if you will. Laws about this and that, about things we shouldn't do and things we should do, regulations about about clothing in the Old Testament times, regulations about worship and sacrifice and offerings, regulations about how to live and what to do and what not to do, prohibitions, which are, we would almost say, too numerous to count, and yet somebody counted them, 613. There was a debate in Jesus' time. Amongst those 613, do any stand out as more important than the others? Is, is, is there anything that, that governs all of these? Is it just a pile of pieces that God kind of just gave us, the pieces of the law, and we've got to, you know, organize them and keep them all, or do they kind of go together in some way? If you've been with us, you know that throughout this chapter, uh, there's been an attempt over and over by the leaders to kind of get Jesus. They're trying to trap him in his words. And they are trying to do that again right here. And so they bring this question to Jesus. Jesus, of this pile of puzzle pieces, pick the one that you think is the most important. You see, they think this is a no-win situation. And, and, it, and it would be if it weren't Jesus, right? Because as soon as you pick one and say it's the most important, they can pick on you for not picking another one. Oh, you don't think that one's important? What's wrong with you? So they're trying to discredit him publicly. They're trying to ask a question of which there is no right answer. But boy, the Lord's response. 
the Lord's response instructed them, and it instructs us. This, this is guidance for every believer, for every situation, for all of life. Not to oversell it, but that's what it is. Every believer, every situation, all of life. This is what the Lord requires of us in his law. So let's look at this together. Matthew 22, we're going to begin at verse 34 and just read that paragraph together. So follow along as I read. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God's word. So the Pharisees gathered together. They had a little a little huddle. They needed to huddle up. They had been repulsed by Jesus many times as they have tried to trick him. The Sadducees had just failed to trap Jesus, and they want to trap him. So they get together, they talk, and they send one of their number, a lawyer, that is a scribe or an expert in the law of God, to go ask Jesus this question. And and what's interesting is, actually, is that Jesus answered the question. Very often, previously, he would not begin, at least, by answering the question. He would perhaps ask them a question or or deal with some underlying thought that was beneath their question or whatever. But in this case, he hears the question, and though it came from a bad heart and a bad motive, he recognizes that we need the answer to this question. And so he says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And he could have stopped there. In fact, in some ways should have, because the guy just asked, what's the great commandment? But Jesus doesn't stop there and he continues. And there's a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here are the two greatest commandments. Love God and love others. He says there is a second like the first. It's like the first because they both speak of love, right? They're very similar kind of constructs, loving God and and loving others. And we're going to look at a little bit more how Jesus says that they are alike. But I want to start with how they're different. Because if we don't begin with seeing how they're different, we miss the first one entirely, because there is only one first and great commandment, and it is above all others, and it is to love God above all others, before all others, even if necessary, instead of all others. There is within the first commandment an exclusivity that God calls you to and me to 
in our love for him. Our love for him is to be first. It is to be preeminent. It is to be above all others, far above other loves. It's, it's to be a love without rival and a love without compare and a love without competitor. The two commandments are not alike in this sense. It doesn't say, you know, love God in the same way you love your neighbor. This, this does not put him on the same plane, but he above all others. God is due a love that is exclusive, that is first in our affections and first in our thoughts and first in our desires and first in our care and first in our most intimate of devotion. Because it says we're to love him with all. All of our heart and soul and mind. Now, we could tend to think, okay, let's talk about the difference between heart and soul and mind, but that's not really why they're there. They're there to illustrate, I'd say, different facets of our lives, different components of us as people, and to say, we're to love him with all of our all. With every piece of us, we're to love him entirely, be it our heart or our soul or our mind or our strength or whatever it is, he's calling us to love him above all else. Now, <clears throat> this means that our first duty as a human being is to love God. Number one, that's it. That is amazing. If we were just to ask, what is the first duty that we have as, as humans? We might come up with other things, like your first duty is to obey God, or your first duty is to fear Him, or to worship Him, or to serve Him. But the heart of the law, somewhat ironically, is not in keeping rules. <clears throat> The heart of the law is not in <clears throat> rendering worship in just the right forms or in abstaining from sin or of serving Him in a particular way. The heart of the law and the first duty of man is to love God. In that sense, the heart of the Ten Commandments, the heart of the law, is radically inward. It's radically inward. Because love is demonstrated by actions, but it is not in and of itself just actions. Love radiates out of a, what words do we use here? Affection? That warmth towards another? That's, that's, where, that's where love springs from. That's where it originates from, and absolutely, it overflows from, it's got to overflow from there, right? If you, if you love another human, people are going to be able to tell, right? Hopefully that other human is going to be able to tell, right? We can hardly stop ourselves from taking actions for the good of the one that we love. It flows out, but it begins inwardly. 
It involves our, our heart and our heart's disposition toward God. We might say that love for God is warm passion motivating action. Warm passion that motivates action. So, so let me ask, what does this look like for the Christian? How can you see this? Because in some ways, it could be hard to see what it looks like to love God. You can't pick up his toys in the morning or clean up the mess that he made. You can't be patient with him when he cuts you off in traffic. He has no needs that you can meet whatsoever at all. He's not thirsty such that you can quench it, sick so that you could take care of him, lacking in anything that we as creatures could ever bring to him. God's word says that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Listen, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what can we render to God? The fruit in this passage, what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to obey the first commandment? Is the second commandment. Our love for God is shown by our love for others. This is where you see it. This is where it comes out. This is where you can express your love for God in loving those around you. And this is how these two commandments are like each other. They are connected to each other. The second commandment follows along with the first and is in many ways inseparable from the first. Our love for God is meant to look like something and what it looks like is love for others. So this vertical component has a horizontal impact. This, this inward reality has an outward expression in caring for those and loving those around us. Now notice we cannot boil it down to simply, okay, well then just love others. No. And th this is where loving others gets overly elevated. It's not the first commandment. The first commandment is love God. We can't just jump in on number two or you miss the heart of the whole thing. The heart of the, Christ, the Christian's heart is Godward. And it overflows outward and to others. Verse 40, Jesus says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is brilliant. I guess it helps if you were the one that wrote the law to start with. But still, in a, what, how many, how many words was that? Like 10 words or something. He summarizes the entire Old Testament. All the law and all the prophets. The guy only asked what the biggest 
rule in the law was, Jesus goes on in just a couple of words to summarize the entire Old Testament for the guy here. This is what it's all been about, in case you missed it. Oh, right. And he says, upon these two commands depends the entire law and prophet. That is, hangs the whole thing. I think of you know hanging up your coat when you come in. Perhaps you have a hook, right? You hang your coat on it. And, and the, the coat then depends upon that hook and is sustained by that hook. What holds up the law and provides the structure to the law and the undergirding for the law is a love towards God and a love towards others. People missed this for thousands of years. It was just a bunch of puzzle pieces. I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And the thing is, you could do all of those things and miss the heart. In fact, that's what hypocrisy is in a certain way. It's to use the law to prove how good we are to ourselves rather than seeing the law as, as the prism by which we're going we're gonna to serve others and love others. The, the law treated with, with self-love in mind misses it. That's why Jesus was, was so opposed to the Pharisees and their law-keeping. Because it was a law-keeping devoid of love for others. It was a law-keeping so they could say they kept the law. But there's no heart towards God and no heart towards others in it. So, so these two commands provide the, the prism through which, the lens through which we can see the, the entirety of what God requires of us. The, the law is not some list of do's and don'ts. And what Jesus calls us to is not just you know, abstain from this and, and do this. The, the law of God has a heartbeat. It has a direction. It, it, it has, it has a, an orientation, a, a trajectory. It's not meant to be random pieces scattered on the board. They, they are put together. And the picture is one of loving God and loving others. I think these are kind of simple words. Not complicated. I don't think anyone in here is failing to grasp what Jesus said, right? Love God, love others. Everyone here could summarize where we're at right now, right? We wouldn't call this a complicated text, you know? Like, oh, yeah, let me see if I can follow the detailed argument. No? It's kind of right there. It's only two points. Got it. Kind of simple. Simple, yes. Easy? No. For on these two, the entire weight of the law hangs. All of it. Right here. These are heavy commands. In fact, you could say these are the heaviest of all the commands for these two hold up all the others. Would you love the Lord? Because it, it doesn't say to love the Lord your God sometimes, nor love the Lord your God on your good days, or love the Lord your God with half your heart, or some of your heart, or most of your 
heart. Nor does it just allow us to, you know, don't worry about all that hard stuff. Just do what he says. Just avoid that sin or, or keep that rule. No, it bears down and it bears down ruthlessly upon our own heart itself. And the God who sees through your actions to your heart is not fooled by your actions or your words, for he's looking at your heart. And he sees past every pretense and every veneer and every show. And here is what is pleasing to him, the one who loves him with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. All of you, all the time. And I haven't even gotten to loving people yet. Think it's hard to love God who's perfect? Meet somebody. <laughs> Which of us could say that we have for one hour loved one person with the kind of tender care that we take care of our own self? Which of us could say that for one hour with one person and yet we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Matthew's done a lot in his book with the word neighbor. Jesus has taught several times on the word neighbor. Here's what it means, everybody you know. Everyone. I find these to be weighty, holy commands. Which is why the purpose of this section is not first to tell you, go and do. The first purpose of the law is not go and do. The first purpose of the law is come and repent. That's always the first purpose of the law. The law begins as a mirror and says, this is what the Lord requires. How you doing? And it brings us back towards him. Friends, I, I want to hold up the mirror for a minute of the law of God. And I want to invite you to consider how are you doing loving God with your heart, with all of your heart, with all of your words, with all of your thoughts, with all of your actions, and allow the Lord to convict. And then how are you doing with people in your life, young people in the room, how you how are you doing loving your parents, loving your younger or older siblings? Parents, how are you doing loving each other, loving your kids? Loving your coworkers. The first law, the law is first a mirror which reveals. So let's let that happen. But the point of the law is not to just leave us stuck in our awareness of sin. It's to point us to Jesus. So friend, let's look to Jesus now. Because guess what? He kept this. He did a pretty good job. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all the time, day one to the last day, he loved the Father. 
well. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. I'm following you. I'm serving you. I'm loving you. And then, oh yes, he loved his neighbor as himself. He loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not consider his own interests. He considered the interests of others and loved us. Friend, that's the God that we get to come to in repentance. That's the God that we get to look to in repentance so that we don't wallow in our sin. Oh, man, am I tempted to do this? To see where I fail and just kind of orbit around it for a while? Why? So miserable. Yet I'm tempted to do that. As soon as I see something, and there's a little bit to see here. I'm tempted to just focus on our sin, but friend, allow this to refocus us on our Savior. The one who took our sin, the one who kept these commands, the one who offers us his righteousness freely and by grace alone. Praise God for grace. We're a people that needs grace. Here's what you're going to do as you go to God, right? We go to God and we need forgiveness, right? We're aware that we need forgiveness, so, so we go to the Lord. But what we find is that as we draw near to Him, that we find Him loving us. This is remarkable, that He loves the sinner, that He loves when we come back. Learn to use your sin as an excuse to get back close to God. That, that's what the Christian's called to do, right? We sin, okay, I see it. All right, back to the Lord. I need the Lord again. Receive his love afresh. Receive his love afresh. Receive his love afresh. Why, why are we doing this? Because that's the gas for the car. That's what enables us to love others. You, you, that's what enables us to love God. How do you grow in your love for God? How do, how do we do this? How do we actually like, keep the first command? It, the word says we love him because he first loved us, right? It doesn't start with us. It starts with him. And so get back to him, receive his love for you, and that's going to be the gas in the car. You know, I, if, you're, if you're before the Lord and, and you know that you've sinned and you know that you've failed and you're coming before him, and you're receiving his grace, there's, there's an awareness of the goodness of God in that, of the kindness of God in that, of the love of God for you personally, that that's what motivates obedience. That's what motivates, oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you. I can't believe you love me so well. I love you in return. Thank you for loving me so well. Friend, this, this, is, the, this is the secret to the Christian life right here, all right? Now, the, the, the more we grow, the less we sin. Praise God for that. But meanwhile, we're still sinning. So may as well use those for opportunities to go get close to God again, right? So let's do that, right? We sin, we fail. Okay, Lord, I need you. Not in a cavalier way, but perhaps in a confident way. With boldness, we approach the throne of grace because we know who's sitting there. And we know what he did so that we could come. We don't come with boldness because of who we are. We do come with boldness because of who he is. And we find a God merciful and gracious and loving us. 
And that's the gas for the car. That's the gas for the car to love him. You cannot actually receive the grace of God and remain heart neutral towards him. It affects us. It changes us. And we, and, we, and we love him in return. But this is also the gas for the car for loving others. Because guess what? If you want to do a really bad job of loving others, look to others and focus on them. And what you will find before too long is weaknesses, failings. You'll have your toes stepped on. You'll find somebody being rude not noticing you, whatever it is. You want a good path towards miserable relationships, focus on the other person. If you want to learn how to love those around you, focus on your God. Because this, this is where it happens. As we, as we receive the love of God and are amazed at the love of God, He, as it were, fills us up that we can love others. And it's it's. This is why going to him when we've sinned is so powerful because we are reminded probably several times a day that, wow, he loves me even though I'm imperfect. This seems to be the rhythm that we have. (laughs) I sin, I come back, he forgives me, I receive his love, thank you, God. I start to wonder again. I come back, I receive his love, thank you, God. There's built into the relationship, the reality that he loves the undeserving. And then he says, now go love the undeserving. And that's the only place it can come from. That's the only way. Otherwise, we're fixated and focused on what there is around us. Your friend, this week, draw near to God, that he might draw near to you. You want to to keep these commands by God's grace. You want to grow at keeping these commands by God's grace. It begins with God's grace. It begins with receiving His grace. It begins by reveling, not in our sin, not wallowing in our sin, but wallowing, if that's the right word, in the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the love of God afresh to us again today. Praise God that His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. I... I find the gospel to be like a warm fire. And I find myself to just often be cold. Cold-hearted towards God. Cold-hearted towards others. Friend, draw near the fire and warm up. And remember the goodness of God. Remember the grace of God to you. Receive the warmth of God, as it were, for you. That you could then go with a full heart and love others. So then let me ask as our closing, what would it look like for you to love people in your life this week? Now, before I ask that, I want to speak to the reality that some are in situations where you're, yes, you're still called to love because we're always called to love but there might be more to it than that. Some are in perhaps an abusive situation or a situation where it's like, man, when do I need to establish some boundaries for my own health or my own safety? Let me just encourage you that those are actually good questions and to find somebody else, another 
mature believer, and I would be very glad to talk with you myself, to talk through those kinds of issues. Because for folks that are, that are struggling in that arena, sometimes only hearing just go love is not, well, it's just not the whole story. It's the focus of the verse, but it's not the whole story. So I encourage you to, to get counsel as you need it. But let's also admit and remember that that's, that's not most of us here, and that's none of us here all of the time. Uh, we, we are called to love across a broad spectrum of relationships. So what does that look like? Friends, we need God for this. We need his grace this week. Young people, what's God calling you to in terms of loving your parent? Loving, loving your sibling? Or, oh my goodness, loving your fellow middle schoolers? I mean, these kids need God's grace. Do you want to go back to middle school and try to love your peers? Heavens! I mean, that would be, that's, that's hard at 50. They have to do it so young, you know? I'm not making fun of it. it you're going to need God's grace if you're going to know what does it look like to love people in middle school or high school. Parents, I don't know about you, I tended to think I was kind of a loving person until I had kids. Spouses. Do you have the category of love when you go to work? I know there's a lot going on at work, but this command didn't like, it's not like you take 40 hours off a week from this command, right? We're called to love your boss, called to love your coworkers, called to think about what's best for those around you, not just about the bottom line. What a task. What a task the Lord has given us. So I want to I wanna just end by praying together because there's, no, there's nobody here. There's a, I think every one of us, we have a place of conviction and hopefully you've been able to Take that to the Lord now, but then we look ahead. I, I'm incapable of this. I'm incapable, Lord. So let, let's pray. Lord, my, my heart is, is, is heavy and hopeful at the same time. Heavy because these are radically challenging commands that you call us to. I am amazed at how they can challenge me Tens of times a day. Lord, I think of the middle schoolers in this room. Lord, we pray for them right now. Lord, middle and high schoolers, young people in this room. Lord, you pray together as a church that you would help these young ones live this out. Lord, if they don't yet know you and love you, God, would you draw these kids to you, that they would find the biggest delight in all the world in loving God, in knowing you. Lord, reveal yourself, we pray. Lord, for those that do know you and are, and are walking through the jungle that is these school years, would you enable them 
to follow you in it, to love you in it, to love those around them. Lord, I pray for young parents that are here, that are struggling with the innumerable demands that come with kids. Lord, would you gently instruct and teach and give strength, gas in the car for them to lay their lives down for the good of another. Lord, I pray for those who are here struggling in their marriage, whose love is dim, who hear these words, but don't know how to walk. Lord, I pray by your Spirit. Fill each one. Fill each one afresh with your love for them, that their love for you would increase and their love for others. Lord, I don't know what situations each one is facing, but Lord, I know each one here is being called to love in an area where we cannot do it alone. So we together as a church, we ask for your grace, your mercy, Fill us, O Lord, that we could live to please you. Do this for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.